Good morning, church. <laughs> Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. And you can follow along with me on the screen. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This has been the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, which is, runs from Matthew chapter 5 through the end of chapter 7. And what we see that Jesus has been doing is Jesus has been declaring, what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? Jesus alone is the rightful king of the whole world. Jesus alone is the rightful king of you and of me. We often forget that. Some of us run the opposite way, trying to be our own king, our own rulers, but Jesus alone is the rightful king of this world and he alone is the rightful king of you and me. We run trying to find autonomy. We run trying to find meaning elsewhere. We all do, but it is only found in Jesus. You'd think we would see the the foolishness of that quest to find our own autonomy and find our own sense of meaning. You just kind of should be able to look around and see the state of the world and see how that, how's that working out for us as human beings? It hasn't worked out very well. We should be able to look at our own lives and see the state of our own kingship and our own lordship, what that has wrought and what that has done. We all know deep down in our souls when we look at this world and we look at the things around us, we know that this isn't the way that things should be, don't we? Somewhere inside us we know this isn't the way that things should be. I mean, how many of us, if we were truly, I mean, truly honest, would say, that my life is a great example of human flourishing in every area and that everyone should follow my example in every area of their lives and you would succeed in every single realm of your life. None of us could truly do that. But that's what Jesus is proclaiming and declaring in his sermon on the mount. Under, under Jesus' rule, we don't become less than what we are. We become fully what we were meant to be. 
under Jesus' rule and reign, that rule and reign that you and I fight against so hard, what he promises us and he tells us is that there, under his rule and reign, is life as it's meant to be. You become fully who you were meant to be. Life under Jesus' rule and reign, it brings true human flourishing. And that's why so far, as we see in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, Jesus has dealt with our character. He's dealt with our actions. He dealt with our worship. He's dealt with our money. He's dealt with our worry. And now he turns and he starts to deal with our relationships with other people. Do, do you hear that? All, our character, our actions, our worship, our money, our worry, our relationships. Do you see how Jesus is laying out a totally different societal structure for us? Jesus is telling us that he didn't come in order to start a new religion. That's not the purpose that he came. Jesus didn't come so that he could die on the cross and so we could accept him. You know how we use that word sometimes? It's not a bad word, but sometimes the way that we mean it is a kind of unhelpful and maybe even evil. That Jesus came to die on the cross and my job is to accept what he has done so that I can feel better about my life. I can be freed from the guilt of sin and continue to live my life with freedom and a lack of guilt anymore. That's not Jesus what he came to do. Yeah, he came to die on the cross and to assuage our, the wrath of God. He came to, to take our sin. He came to alleviate our guilt, but he didn't come in order to do those things to serve us. When he came, he was unveiling a drastically different world order from the broken one that we're in. And if you are to follow him and submit to him, which is what he calls us all to do, by the way. He calls us all to come and submit to him and to follow him. If we, do that, if we are to do that, we must, must, we must drastically reorder our lives. We are to drastically reorder our values, our goals, our ambitions, our desires, and our dreams. Because Jesus is not just savior, but Jesus is king. And he demands and he deserves. He doesn't just demand like a, like a certain ruler that we are thinking of in, in Europe right now. He doesn't just demand our submission and our worship. He demands and deserves it because he alone is king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus didn't, he didn't give us an outward, uh, another option. Jesus didn't and he doesn't play around about his lordship and his kingship. He tells us that if we follow him, our love and devotion to him will reorder everything that we hold dear. Do you hear that? If you're going to love and worship and serve and submit to Jesus, it will reorder everything that you and I hold dear, including our relationships. Here's how Jesus addressed the crowds that followed him. Jesus doesn't look like a lot of popular preachers who want to gather crowds at any, at any way that they possibly can. The crowds were following him and he turned around and he said to this, he said to them this, if anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and what? Count the cost. And if you listen, you can hear him putting out that same call to you and to me even now. His voice still speaks even louder and clearer than it did in the, as he walked in Galilee. It's an invitation to come and a demand to bow. And why does he... Why does he call for this kind of drastic reordering of our lives? Because he deserves it. And because of the surpassing value that it is to you and me to know and to be known by God. Jesus described it this way in Matthew 13. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. A man found it. And he covered it back up. And then in his joy, he sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who in finding one pearl of great price, he does what? He sells all that he had and bought it with joy. This passage in Matthew 7, verse 1 through 6 is a very well-known passage. It's freely quoted even by people outside the church. It's often used as an injunction against people who are judging. It's been misquoted and misused probably by those of us who are in this room. But in it, we actually see Jesus dealing with something deeper than just judging people. Jesus is describing a total change of mindset in our relationships for those of us who are under his rule. Here again, the passage, Matthew chapter seven, verse one through six. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Jesus is teaching us about what our reordered mindset and actions toward others should be if we're to be Christians. But there's another mindset we have to have first, a a mindset that that really lays the foundation for having a mindset to the people around us. There's a mindset to ourselves that understands God's holiness and the depth of our sin and God's grace and love to us in Christ. Both God's holiness and the depth of our sin before that holy God and God's grace and love towards us in Christ. 
That's the entryway into the kingdom of God, by the way, understanding those two things, God's holiness and the depth of our sin and God's grace and love towards us in Christ. You've heard me say it before. I stole it from somebody who stole it from somebody. It says that this is the gospel in though you are, no matter how bad you think you are, you are far worse off. And, but in Christ, you are far more loved than you ever dared to dream. That's the mindset that makes the rest of the Sermon on the Mount plausible. You remember how he started the Sermon on the Mount? The beginning of Matthew chapter five, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed are the merciful. It's that kind of mindset that undergirds this section that we're in whenever he's talking about our reordered relationships. And we have to understand that before we look at the particulars that he's laying out. You can see it in the passage in verses one and two where he was, where he was talking about judge not that you be not judged for the with judgment that you pronounce you'll be judged and with the measure you use it'll be measured back to you. And, and there you see it, there's a sense of a God who judges and that I deserve judgment under him. You and I won't be won't have a reordered relationship to the people around us. We won't, we won't be able to do what Jesus is telling us to do here in this passage if we miss the fact that I, that me, not some people out there, not you, not people in general, not the bad people out somewhere, but I am in a sinful person in need of a savior and underneath the judgment and wrath of God apart from Jesus Christ. There is a God who judges and that I deserve judgment. And then verses three through four, where he talks about having a, a log or a plank in my own eye and trying to take the speck out of my neighbor's eye. You see there that a person who has, who's going to have a right relationship or reordered relationship to the people around them is going to be aware of the greatness of their own sin. Until you do. You may try to read these verses and try to keep them, but it'll just be a good, an acting job that, will, that you'll be better at and worse at depending on how good a mood you happen to be that day. But if you are aware and have a sense that you live life before a God who judges and that you are, deserve judgment, and you have a sense of the personal, of the greatness, of a personal greatness of your personal sin, then that, only that mindset will change the way we react to the people around us. What does that produce in our hearts and minds? If I understand the, the greatness of my sin before a holy God, but yet, God's grace and love to me in Christ Jesus, what does that produce? It, that produces, first of all, a sense of justification that, that I am justified before God, not by my actions, not by, by performance, but only by the performance of Jesus Christ on my behalf. And what that does is it provides for me a, a deep sense of acceptance. I'm accepted before God. He accepts me into himself, not because I have been good, but because I have been bad in Jesus Christ has been good for me. And it's his, it's God's acceptance of the son that brings me in, that invites me into him. 
That my acceptance isn't based upon how I performed yesterday or last week or how I'm going to perform tomorrow. That as a, if I'm a believer in Christ, my acceptance before God and into the bosom of the Father is only by the work of Jesus Christ. But yet it is by the work of Jesus. I am held there by an anchor that holds continually no matter how I may go, up or down. I'm prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. But yet before the throne of God above, someone is holding me fast. I'm accepted. And if that's true, then I get to, I can experience my unconditional acceptance by the Father through Christ Jesus. And you know what that does? It produces in me a sense of freedom and boldness. I can be free because I'm freed from the power of sin. I'm free from the judgment and wrath of God through Jesus Christ. I have a freedom and that produces a boldness in my life. I don't have to perform any longer. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to compare. You ever get caught in the comparison game? It's called Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. So easy to get down that rabbit hole, isn't it? But if I'm accepted by the Father in Christ, no matter what it looks like I am, what I have, what I don't have, what I've done, what I haven't done, where I think I'm going tomorrow or where I've been, it produces freedom and boldness and a You feel that? When I experience God's grace, it shows me that I am free from the bondage of sin, that bondage that I can't fight out of myself. I am freed from the bondage of sin. Do you see how that mindset frees us to begin to change our relationships with other people? If you don't have that, other people will be tools for your own happiness or tools for you to try to reign in your own small little kingdom. But if I am accepted before the Father in Christ, if I was under judgment, but I have been freed by the work of Christ, if I've been racked by sin, but he has told me I am free from the bondage of sin, all of a sudden it makes people look a little bit different in my eyes. And then we see Jesus say, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That word judge means to decide about somebody. It means to pronounce something about somebody. Just like a, when a judge pronounces a sentence for somebody. They say, you are not guilty or you are guilty. The judge has declared that. They've pronounced it. It's a condemnation. When we judge other people around us because of the, the way, things that they have done to us, or, this, or we see the things that they have done to other people, or just the way that they live their life, when we judge others, we condemn them. We, what we do is we decide who they are and what they deserve. And here's why that's so, not just 
dangerous but evil because to be a judge claims the position and the perspective to rule over other people around us. I've decided that you're guilty. I've decided you're a bad person. I've decided you've wronged me and I'm cutting you off. I've decided who you are and I'm gonna interact with you according to how I have decided you are and who I've decided that you are. We freeze somebody in a moment in time for something that maybe they did terrible to us or to somebody else. And we freeze them in that moment. And we say, this is who you are. I am the judge. I am the jury. I declare, I condemn, I pronounce, I declare, this is who you are. And I'm going to relate to you according to that. It assumes a position with others and with myself that number one, that we don't have because none of us are God. There is one judge above all. And he doesn't have the last name Goff or the first name Randy, nor yours as well. It's a position that you and I do not occupy. We don't have the position to pass judgment upon the people around us, no matter what they have done or how we think they are or who we think they are. We don't have that position. We assume a position that we don't have and that you and I don't deserve. You know why we don't deserve to be the judge and jury? Because we lack knowledge. Only God knows all things. Only God knows everything somebody's done and the thoughts and intents of their heart. The the Bible tells us that the spirit of God knows us in ways that we don't even know ourselves. He alone searches the depths of who we are. We don't have the position and we don't deserve the position. None of us is. God is declared to be just and he's declared to be love. And only he deserves to be judged over anybody. That's who we want to judge us, isn't it? A God who is both just and love. But when we pronounce judgment upon other people around us, we take a position that we don't deserve and that we don't have, and we lack the ability to handle well. God tells us he is merciful and gracious abounding in mercy. That's his position. Here's what John Stott says. No human being is qualified to be the judge of his fellow humans. For we cannot read each other's hearts or assess each other's motives. To be censorious is to presume arrogantly to anticipate the day of judgment, to usurp the prerogative of the divine judge, in fact, to try to play God. Do you see why that's so dangerous? And that's why we are told that we will be judged if we judge other people around us because we are taking the place of God and he takes that very personal. That belongs to him only. He takes the role of judging humanity very seriously, and that is not our role. 
Romans 2, 1, therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you judge the practice, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. Is, is Jesus telling us here not to assess whether something is right or wrong? No. Is he telling us to ignore when others do bad things? No. He isn't telling us to suspend discernment but he is telling us to take ourselves out of the judge's bench and to be generous with our fellow man. Why? Because we remember he's generous with us. They're guilty, Lord. Oh yeah, I am too. I'm too. Put him on the stand, Lord. Oh, wait, I deserve to be there. But I look over and see Jesus sitting on my behalf. Say, God, why am I gonna demand $20 when I've, been to, when I've been forgiven $20 million? Jesus, Jesus tells us, don't be a judge. And then he also says, don't be a hypocrite. Verses three through five, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, hear that word, hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. When we focus on the faults of other people around us, we've forgotten something. We've forgotten our own faults. Sometimes what we do is I want to forget my own faults and so I project my own faults on the people around me so I can feel better about my own. We assume a superior place and attitude to the people around us. And you know what happens? We look ridiculous. It's a ridiculous picture that Jesus is painting here. You have a log, a plank coming out of, your own, out of your eye, which is a pretty ridiculous thing. And you turn to your brother and say, hey, let me take that little speck that is out of your own eye. It's ridiculous. And we look ridiculous to the people around us. We look ridiculous to the world. Sometimes it's an excuse when people who are outside the church say, ah, oh, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. That's why I'm not a Christian. Sometimes it's an excuse. But oftentimes it's based on some legit things. And it's not about our perfection and our performance. It's about our lack of repentance and humility. What does it mean to take the log out of your own eye? It means we remember who we are. Oh yeah, I'm a sinner. Look what they've done. Oh yeah. Remember what I've done. And it means to practice repentance. I repent before the Lord. I have a lifestyle of repentance before the Lord and before other people of the plank of the log that is in my eye. I think we would probably see honestly, I think we would honestly see a greater conviction of sin by the people who are around us if we were more conscious of our own sin. 
and we lived lives of radical and deep repentance. Jesus says, don't be a judge, don't be a hypocrite. But then he said, do you catch that? Be a brother. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying that we never bring correction to each other, that we never address issues with each other. He is saying, though, that we address them in a different way than the world addresses them. It says that we should have a brother or a brother and sister or a family mindset when we address people. We practice repentance. We remove the, the log out of our own eyes. And then we, we operate with a brother mindset with the people who are around us. A brother mindset assumes a continual relationship. When when a brother or a sister in a healthy way addresses an issue with a brother or sister, they, the, the, it is not a condition. It does not say, hey, remove the speck or I am out of here. A brother mindset says, hey, I'm bringing this to you. I'm encouraging you to remove the speck from your eye. I'll help you. But if, even if you don't, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be in relationship with you. I'm going to be your brother. I'm going to be your sister. It assumes a continual relationship and it's based on unconditional love. Whether you remove this or not, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be with you because Christ remains with me. Even when I've walked around with two planks hanging out of both eyes. He's been continually gracious and patient with me. And a brother mindset or a sister mindset has the other person's success and their flourishing as its goal. I'm not asking you to remove that speck from your eye because it's annoying me. I'm, I'm, tr I'm here to help you do it because I want you to flourish and grow as my brother and as my sister. Jesus says, don't be a judge. He says, don't be a hypocrite. He says, be a brother. And then he says, lastly, in this, this kind of interesting, seemingly weird verse, he says, be a discerner. You hear that part when, when we read it, when Carolyn read it, don't throw your pearls before pigs. The pearls here speak about the gospel. You remember when we opened, we talked about the finding the pearl of great price. The pearls here speak of the gospel, the news, which is the gospel is the news about Jesus, his kingdom, what he has done and what he is doing with sin and death and his offer of life everlasting. That's the gospel. Which throughout Matthew, Jesus refers to the gospel as exceedingly precious. He's been telling us to love our enemies, to pray for them and to forgive them. And here he's telling us that the gospel is exceedingly precious. So we need to be discerning in how we share it with other people around us. We can easily destroy this analogy by taking it too far. Um, we don't want to do that. But here's what Jesus is saying. In order for the gospel to be understood and appreciated, something has to happen. A person must be changed so that he or she appreciates the beauty that is found in the gospel. 
A dog or a pig can't appreciate the beauty that is found in a pearl. It's of no value to them. It's of exceeding value. It can buy them feed for the rest of their life or buy herds upon herds of pigs and dozens and dozens of dogs, but they have no appreciation for that pearl. That necklace means nothing to them. They will either ignore it or trample them or they will think that you're throwing them food and try to eat them. And if that happens, they're going to chip a tooth and get angry and they're going to turn on you. So Jesus is saying this and thinking about our relationship with people who are outside of the faith, people who are not believers in Christ yet. It says we are called to share the gospel or called to share the gospel. He tells us other places indiscriminately or with everyone everywhere. We don't look and see, oh, you deserve the gospel. You deserve the gospel. Because again, we are all guilty under the, under the hand of God, right? We're to share the gospel indiscriminately because we were all dead in our trespasses and sins until we weren't. And the gospel was foolishness for all of us until it wasn't. Jesus is telling us to share the gospel indiscriminately, but he's also telling us to share the gospel discerningly. That's what he means here. So that should lead us to ask two questions. When we think about the people who are outside of the faith that we want to share the gospel with, number one, is this person ready to hear the gospel? Is this person ready to hear the gospel? In other words, how can I prepare them to see the beauty of the gospel? Am I just throwing this out here because I, because they need to be, they need to become a Christian and I need to throw this out there or because I'm irritated they're not a Christian or I'm just throwing it out there. How can I prepare them to see the beauty of the gospel? And is there a need I can meet to help them to see it? So that they'll see the beauty that's found in this pearl. The second question, number one, is, is this person ready to hear the gospel? Secondly, has this person so rejected the gospel that I need to shake the dust off my shoes? This isn't giving up on the person. Remember, we aren't to judge. But it's seeking not to antagonize them with the good news. Elements of the gospel will always be offensive to people. We don't like to hear that we're sinners. We don't like to hear that we're under the wrath of God. We don't like to hear that we, are, that we need a savior and that there is a king that demands our obedience and our submission. But it is good news and it's not meant to be a bludgeoning tool for the people who are outside the faith. That's true for strangers and that's true for friends and coworkers and for even for families. The gospel is never meant to be a tool that we use to try to manipulate or control those who are outside the family of God. It's too precious and too holy for that. Now as we end. Here's the danger with a sermon like this. There's a real danger. Every one of us, in fact, every one of us in this room, every person is in danger when we hear a sermon. It's, it's an encouraging thing to hear the word of God preached, but it's also dangerous. Remember, Jesus isn't giving us advice on how to live our life. He's the king who's calling us to count the cost and to follow him. 
And all of us in this room today are in danger of hearing this teaching. Don't be a judge. Don't be a hypocrite. Be a brother. Be a discerning sharer of the gospel. We're in danger of hearing it and saying, oh yeah, people shouldn't judge. Right? Like people shouldn't judge. Or I remember when that person judged me. I wish they were here today to hear this message. They're not humble. They're not aware of their sin. Oh yeah, people shouldn't be hypocrites. How many times have I said Christians shouldn't be hypocrites? Do you you remember pastor so-and-so? Boy, he was a hypocrite. But I knew it all along. People shouldn't be hypocrites. We're in danger of thinking that this message is for someone else or for people in general without being specifically applied to my own life. And that's a dangerous place. When you hear the warnings, but you don't heed the warnings. And we end up being the very thing that we hear Jesus warning us against. We are judging hypocrites. Who are looking around at the people around us who have wronged us. And we don't remember. (sighs) Yeah. Me too. A couple questions for you as we close. What's your reputation? Like not how do you think that you are, but what's your reputation with the people around you? Do people see you as someone who is humble and forgiving and loving and gracious? What would people around you say, particularly those who are closest to you? I've had God revealing to me just over the past few weeks how often I judge and how often I walk in unforgiveness to people around me and even those who are closest to me. I judge, oh, that they're this person, they're this, they're like this, and I'll walk away making call about them. Hypocritical, focusing on the actions of others rather than my own actions. But that mindset change doesn't happen because of education, doesn't happen because you just simply hear the sermon and you decide, I'm going to leave here and not be a judge and I'm going to leave here and not be a hypocrite. It happens as the glory of God enters in and reorders your world. When the weight or the gravity of God's glory pulls you and clicks you into orbit around him and you find that it begins to reorder you. You and I are doomed to be a judge and a hypocrite until we see Jesus, the king, the king who not only demands our obedience and our submission, but the king who was slain for your sin and for my sin, for you. Do you see that? Believer. Today, Look to him and repent of your attitude towards the other people around you. You Are you not yet a Christian? Look to him today who alone is your judge, but yet your judge took your place, took your condemnation, bore your sin, and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father 
inviting you and calling you to himself. We forget, if you're a believer, we forget the beauty that's found in him. And that's why we gather here every week to remember, to experience him. In a tangible way that we get to experience him this morning is by coming forward and taking in your hand the offered body and blood of Christ who was shed for you. You take, as you take it, I hope you'll take it you hear, this is his body broken for you. This is his blood that was shed for you. You'll take it and, yeah, that's me. I'm far worse off than I ever thought I was. But taking the bread, drinking the cup, I'm far more loved in Christ than I ever dared to drink. Maybe something we talked about this morning is really something that you struggle with. Find somebody to pray with you. If you're there this morning, you're not a believer in Christ. Today, bow your knee to him. You'd like some more information about how to do that? Find me, find somebody back in the prayer area or grab someone beside you and say, today. I'm not going to leave this place. I'm not going to sing another song. I'm not going to live another moment. I'm not going to do another thing until today. I bow my knee before the Savior who was slain for me. Father, we thank you that you don't simply demand our obedience, which you have every right to do, but that you deserve it, our obedience and our love to you because you were slain for us. Help us to turn around and offer grace and forgiveness to the people around us. Help us not to be judges, but to be aware of our own judgment apart from Christ, the judgment that he bore for us. And help us to be aware of your grace to us, of the plank that is in our own eye. And let us look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that we would look like the beautiful kingdom that you tell us that you rule and reign over in this sermon. For your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen.